Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the first name basis season and a very happy Canada Day slash Independence Day to you. I'm your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here, as always, with the starship to my Jefferson. What? I, I don't know. Anyway, it's Mark Blankenship. Hi, Mark. And also the airplane to your Jefferson. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know why I'm Jefferson in this scenario. <laughs> who who cares? Um here's here's the deal, listeners. This is actually an interstitial episode because, at least in theory, although we are recording this in the past to air in the future, because I am uh, celebrating my 10th wedding anniversary at the moment in another state, we are dropping this uh, like um, sorbet episode of sorts in the middle of our first name basis season um, that takes a moment to celebrate the many, many named songs in the pop canon. Uh, they don't exactly meet the brief of the first name basis season, and yet they don't exactly not meet the brief. And we had to talk about many of these songs for many reasons. We're celebrating them in their own episode, and we're ranking these 10 more than one name name songs in their own right. Um, I'm pretty excited about it because we are recording this before the main part of the season. So it's going to let us work through (laughs) some things that as you're listening to this, we already worked through. Time is a flat song. Mark, anything to add? Uh, Just to say that I am very grateful that we have found a way to get Lou Bega onto this podcast at last. (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and I feel like he's pretty grateful for that, too. It's just a sense <laughs> I have about his life these days. <laughs> yeah, that seems about right. And uh, I also think it's fun that we're dropping this episode in the middle of the season, but recording it first. So we might be repeating ourselves. We might say some things that we later completely disown, but we'll have disowned them before we say them. I don't know what's going on, but I do know I'm happy to be here with you, Sarah. And uh <laughs> Shall I tell the listeners the songs we'll be discussing today? Yes, absolutely. All right, y'all. These are the 10 songs that we're going to be ranking. As Sarah mentioned, they are all songs that contain overt references to more than one name. Here they are in alphabetical order. We've put the songs with numbers in the titles first. Don't add us. Um, (laughs) 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover by Paul Simon. 52 Girls by the B-52s. Come on, mm, ride it, parentheses, the train by Quad City DJs. <laughs> Co- Copacabana by your friend and mine, Barry Manilow. In My Feelings by Drake. Jack and Diane by John Cougar Mellencamp. Jimmy Loves Marianne by the surprisingly well-represented in this season, Looking Glass. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Mambo Number no. 5 by the good Lord Lou Bega, and Walk on the Wild Side by the other Lou, Reed. Yeah, a lo- lot of Lou's. In <laughs> here. Is and, this, yeah. yeah was we're this not talking about you by hey a, Lou by Liz Fair. Was this season brought to you by a Brooklyn fish market? Lou! Yay, hey Lou! It was it brought to you by my cat? No, it wasn't. Although she uh, is in the room right now. So I think it's uh, uh, pretty awesome that we're starting with 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover because it helps. This song helped me actually, Sarah, articulate why I ranked things the way I did in this episode. So I'm glad that we're kicking off with it. This was, of course, a number one hit for Paul Simon as a solo artist in the 70s. It was one of the songs that really helped demonstrate he would be fine without Garfunkel. Garfunkel without Simon. Well, we've talked about that before in the Moist FM season. Um (laughs) And uh, we do have a little clip from 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. So here we go. Repeat myself at the risk of being crude. There must be 50 ways to leave your lover. 50 ways to leave your lover. You just slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, stand. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Just get yourself free. Hop on the bus, Gus You don't need to discuss much 
Stan. Uh, I love also that this is one of the only songs of this nature that was under consideration for the season that has anything to do really with men's names like Mm -hmm. Jack and Jimmy are around but not necessarily as much like that it's definitely like a 10 or 8 to 10 to 1 ratio of lady names to man names so it's funny that we're uh leading off well i guess we're not leading off the season <laughs> with this I, like i said um there's tesseracts all over my office right now i apologize um i i've never loved this song but i can sing mm-hmm. every single line of it i can sing all the little furbelows like the little differences between renditions of the choruses i can do the um central park version it it always struck me as really a kind of a not throwaway song because i don't feel like paul simon has any throwaways but that it just wasn't uh, i don't know and also the woman he's singing to seems kind of archly annoying in that woody allen <laughs> way of some of his um lady uh, song objects of the 70s with all of that said I ranked it third in this group because it absolutely obeys the brief. I know it extremely well. Um, And I will rhyme these names with in this way that he does it for these names. What about you? Yes. Okay. So I'm just going to jump to the end a little bit and say, I also have it in third place. Huh? Because to me, one of the things that makes this song a strong competitor in this season or under this rubric is that I would, if I met someone named Lee, including our listener Lee, who is, you know, Mm -hmm. our friend, uh, I would sing this to Lee. And if like, maybe I wouldn't sing it upon meeting them, but I would eventually be like, just leave the key Lee. Or if like, if I, for instance, let's, let's say I had a friend named Lee who was going to stay at my house and then needed to know what to do after they were checking out. I'd be like, just leave the key, Lee. I you know, just, And I just feel like mm-hmm. if the phrasing around the name in the song, even if I just speak it to someone, feels natural to me, that's a good sign. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It has all those sort of like Ready Freddy lines, uh, rhymes in it that are um, both a little bit beneath Paul Simon, in my opinion, but also perfect for this kind of season that it's like is this the kind of song or the kinds of names that you um knee jerk respond to with the song yes i argue that it is and how many times do the gusses of the world get a lyric (laughs) not that often and we salute them with this ranking and if i'm if i may take us to a slightly more esoteric place sarah won't you join me always please Please put on your scotch-taped spectacles as, as I take us down this road. Hark, Mark. Here we go on an esoteric <laughs> Well, this journey. is so you kind of just got at what I was about to say. This song is also so fundamentally about names that I want to add other names to the list that are not even in the song. <laughs> so it's like, just go to the park, Mark. You know, like, I, it just, yep. if the song is so fundamentally tied to the concept of names that I want to add more names to it, that also means to me it is an iconic name song. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And I like do. that 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover is a song about listing names with funny rhymes. And it, if it invites me to participate in that way, can't be mad at it. Now, to go back to what you said, too, I also do not necessarily love this song. In fact, my favorite of Paul Simon's solo hits is probably, well, it's either Mother and Child Reunion or Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard. Uh, from this era, mm-hmm. from the seventies, like the, but I think I texted you the other day something along the lines of how this song is in my chromosomes. Like it doesn't, yes. it doesn't matter if I like it. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I also wonder how many of these because in this particular list, especially, I struggled with like, um, am I responding to this because I have been living with this song for eighty percent of my time on Earth? And so that's why I associate it with these names or 
am I, you know, or is it really that strongly associated? So this is going to just be an ongoing conversation this whole season, I think, what? or and I has think, been because yeah. we're halfway through <laughs> the season right. is a thing I keep forgetting because it's May right now. Hi. But it is true. Like this idea of if the song was popular with a million other people, but I don't know it, then I can't rank it that highly, you know? Right. Like individually, subjectively speaking. Which is going to be something that's going to come up later, by the way. <laughs> well, it's going to come up in like two minutes, actually. But anyway, yeah, anything so, else about Paul Simon? Or no, I think I think that's I think we're good. I think that's that's the story that we needed to tell. And besides, we've already at this point talked about Cecilia, so we've mm-hmm. had a lot to say about Paul Simon already. Yes, boy, have we? And and our you know two part. Uh, <laughs> Our two-part like oral history of our feelings about the Bridge Over Troubled Water album. When we're like, I pardon me, as I just, I just need to weep. Um, let's just sit here and hold hands. <laughs> I know. And then it came and, back. Oh my god! With the Grammy season, like I, I mean, I don't know. Paul Simon, <laughs> Art Garfunkel, Mark, Sarah. It's a just, it's a just, quadrangle that keeps on giving. Just answer the call, Paul. Um, anyway, so you smell like a fart art anyway. Okay. So next we're going to, (laughs) we just started this season and it's already, here we go. Okay. Next we've got a song. I will say, Sarah, I did not know until you, uh, included it on this list and I'm happy to have heard it. It is. 52 Girls by the B-52s. I'm not sure why I included it because I was listening to it and I was like, have I heard this song before? Like, this is one of those B-52 songs that I always think I don't know it. And then I'm like, oh, right, this song. And then I'm like, oh, wait, is this one of those B-52 songs that sounds like 17 other B-52s songs? Right. Um, Because they don't have... I wouldn't say they have like a wide sonic range. Right. Like it's it's kind of the same two or three songs over and over. Like they're good songs if you're in the mood, but I'm also just not like I am glad the B-52s exist, but I'm just not that intense in their favor. Um, with that said, I think for a certain cohort in the listenership, this will be absolutely an on-label um exactly what we're talking about middle of the road entry in terms of name songs um and i like the names that are chosen in the song we don't have a clip um but i like what i think it's trying to do with them if i'm receiving the lyrics correctly but as a song it's just okay and i don't think it meets the brief for me because it's too generic as to the B-52's output. Mm. And I didn't immediately think like, oh, right, this is for sure like a Jackie song. Like, I guess it could be if you've heard it enough times. For me, it didn't get there. That said, it was kind of in the middle, number six for me. Five points. All right. Well, for me, the song, it's too hard to understand what they're saying for this song to really work for this particular brief, uh, you there, there, the production is so seventies fuzz bucket that mm-hmm. you really, <laughs> really have to pay attention to even hear the names that they're saying, except for Jack, Jack, Jackie. O, like at the very, very end. But um, like, you know, there are all these names that you can't really make out. And I feel like one of the things that makes a song iconic with someone's name is how easy it is to pick that name out. So, for me, because I didn't know it before and I can't really hear it, I can't really understand it unless I'm reading along with the lyrics, I actually put it in last place. Huh. Okay. Now, that's no disrespect to the B-52s. I had a really wonderful time seeing them perform outside in Atlanta, Georgia when I was in college. And I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before. One time also saw them shopping at the gay bookstore in Atlanta called Outright. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was fucking awesome. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um. But uh, yeah, for me, this is this is a uh, 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 it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> on mm, this particular season, fair. Um, so that's tenth place for me, one point, and fifth, sixth place from you, five points. Yep. 
Now, next, I have with great pleasure the opportunity to introduce a top five hit, the only hit they ever had by the Quad City DJs. It is the deliciously stupid Come On and Ride It, The Train. Sarah, before we even listen to the clip, which naturally I pulled, I just want to say I really admire a song that can be this fucking dumb. This song is dumb as shit, and it's so happy about how stupid it is. It is absolutely about sex, but it's also not about sex. Like, they make so many references to choo-choo trains. There's a chorus of people saying, I think I can, like the little engine that could. It's just, and and the the metaphors of the song don't make sense. Like, at some point, he says, I want to get you home alone with me. But if you're riding a train, you're having an group sexual encounter they don't care and then they're just like saying choo-choo but that they're also talking about riding around in impalas like they can't make up their minds and they refuse to make up their minds but the beat won't stop and i like that so here's a clip What? Also, uh, I was today years old when I learned that Barry White is listed as a co-writer of this song. Sure. I mean, yes, this is the this is the world that we deserve. Um, I will note that this is the first and not even close to the last jock jam of the day. (laughs) You hear this at the ballpark. All the time, along with Cotton Eye Joe, who, as far as I know, did not make our top 40. (laughs) That fucker. Um, But yeah, this this is in last place for me, but does not reflect the joy that it brings to me. I just think that the, um, the names are like buried in there, and I would not associate this song with these names. And in fact, was like, wait, are we sure? Why is this song in here? Like, are, is Mark punking me? I, I mean, I thought, I thought this was not pertinent. <laughs> I thought it just like wandered in here with an armful of metaphors and was like, little help. Um, so yeah, it's in last place for me, even though I like it a lot more than some of the songs on this list. But it's just not. I just don't feel like those names pop for me as an association with the song where'd you put it okay now i totally think that that is valid and i absolutely understand where you're coming from it just so happens that i had gotten my first car when this song was popular and i didn't Uh yet have a cd player or tape deck kids ask your Uh grandparents so i was at the mercy of the radio and the song was always on the radio and i can remember Uh laughing out loud the first time i heard them say Girls everywhere, I'm calling your name. Michelle, Tamika, and Tanya want to ride that train. Because I was just like, what a random collection of three names to choose (laughs) out of all the girls in the world. And so for me personally, the names Michelle, Tamika, and Tanya are inextricably linked to this song. And I have actually sung this at a Michelle in my life. And if I knew a a Tamika or a Tanya, I would sing it at them. Mm -hmm. Therefore, for me... It is in fifth place. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Six points because of my gray Chevy Cavalier with a blue stripe down the side. Gorgeous. Um, <laughs> uh, I will also say, I think this uh, some of our rankings this season are going to be wild just because everybody's use cases are going to be so different. So that's exactly right. So... But again, that makes sense to me why you put it where you did. Now, I'm curious to know how you felt about Copacabana by Barry Manilow in this context. Um, I mean, how I feel about it generally is that I would like to tip my champagne flute to Mr. Manilow. Having the um, disco-tinged time of his fucking life 
singing what is basically a murder ballad, but with this really long dance break in the middle. And then all of a sudden it's Sunset Boulevard, but then the backup singers are like, oh, it's fine. Don't fall in love. Like, where are we? Like, what is happening? Is Billy Wilder going to yell cut? What are we doing? Um, None of this is a problem, by the way. It's all awesome. Uh, I do strongly associate this with Lola's. I will get any name that scans in there, like, or like Lolo Jones, a friend of mine named her cat, Lolo. Her name was Lola. She was a kitty. I mean, it just fits. I know the entire song extremely well. I have rewritten the lyrics for a number of different names, but I do, I don't know that many Ricos, which, you know, I am the poorer for and I'm working on it. But Lola's and Tony's, I can make that work, especially living in Bay Ridge. I associate that very strongly with anything that scans is followed by me with she was a showgirl. So this is my number two. Oh, no, excuse me. I'm sorry. This is my number one. Ten points. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. I love it. So... I had never listened to the lyrics of this song until I was preparing this episode and I did not realize it was a murder ballad. Yeah. <laughs> and I was listening to it. I was yeah. in the gym and I was like, Oh, I'm just working out. And then I'm like, wait, her boyfriend gets killed. And then like you said, in the third verse, she's because she's like refusing to take off her clothes from 40 years ago. Like some sort of like elegant Miss Havisham sitting at the bar and like you said, Sunset Boulevard, like the jeweled clasp on the turban, absolutely still uh-huh. talking about the past. And I was like, this song is dark as fuck. But you're right. Yeah. I've only ever just been like music and passion. So I was I was I was shook in the best way. Yeah. Now, yeah, Sarah, good. I'd like you to take yourself back, if you will, to the fall of 1997. Okay, That's when. I, your co-host, was a freshman in college, and we did this thing at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, where all of the freshman halls got together for some big welcome to the school event, and all of the freshman halls performed little song and dance numbers to make fun of the other dorms, other freshman halls, Uh and celebrate our own, and one of the songs in my freshman hall's performance was Copacabana, and in my mind, to this day, I can still hear some of the stupid lyrics that we sang to mock other dorms on campus. Like, and the complex, it's like a maze. Go at your own cost, cause you'll always get lost. But it means hall. We love it so. I mean, it was terrible writing. But so to me, this song is also a list of dorms from my freshman year, most of which have now been torn down, by the way. Mm-hmm. Point being, this song is so many things to me. And that's why I put it in a, a, a highly respectable, I think sixth place, five points from me. Okay. <laughs> I, I just love that you had never sort of contemplated because I always sort of forget about it. Cause you have that long, you have that long middle break for everyone to go to the bathroom, do some, do a bump, come back out, do the hustle. <laughs> bump. Yep. And then there's fucking Norma Shearer sitting in the middle of a lighted dance floor while Tony Monero is like just going around her like, <laughs> Tony. <laughs> and she's like, I mean, I'm what yeah, you'll so. all become, dearie. And you can hear like Manilow's glee at spilling this, you must remember this podcast type tea is, is the best. It's really a, a wonderful uh, rendition of the story which is a murder ballad i love it i know unexpected um okay also perhaps unexpected is that i brought in a drake song but this song a few years ago in my feelings it was a number one hit huge success and it created this viral challenge where people would jump out of their cars which were rolling slowly in neutral they would jump out of the car do a dance to the section we're about to hear then jump back in the car So I watched that a few times and uh, it just, and so because I have watched so many videos where he's talking to Kiki, KB, and then the other girls he talks to, this song just immediately came to my mind. And 
uh, Sarah, I don't even know if you've ever heard this song before. I don't know where Drake is in your uh, current listening habits. I really don't ever listen to his music myself, but this one really broke through for me. So here's a clip of In My Feelings by Drake. I mean, this just sounds like every other Drake song to me. Um, Drake, Drake is such an interesting prospect. Like, I have no kick, as you're fond of saying, with Drake. I think of him as Jimmy from Degrassi, but that's because A, I'm old, and B, I'm old. Um, But I, like, this is actually really interesting lyrically, um, Mm. if I'm receiving the lyrics correctly like there's a lot of there's a lot kind of going on with the with the other voices and narrators here Mm -hmm. um but drake's sound is so like non-specifically unengagingly costly sounding and hip if that makes any sense like what i don't know about drake is so much that i shouldn't even say anymore i just will say that like i'm content with his existing and making lots of money he's not taking anything from me i just struggle to engage with the the work um and this was no different i don't associate this song with anything except sort of that first warm day when people are driving by and this is blasting out of people's cars. And I'm sort of like, you're blasting this. It's like blasting wall to wall carpeting. I just don't, I don't engage. Um, So this one is my number nine with two points, but I think for other people, the use case, like I was saying before, will be very different because I think a lot of people do feel seen by drake and feel narrated by drake i just don't i I can't get a handhold on his stuff i just can't never have been able to good for him though and he's cute i feel like that drake is pretty boring honestly as a musician because of some of the things you just said i just feel like he never sounds i understand that there's a lot of feeling in his work but i find his delivery to be so soporific that it's mm, yeah. hard for me to care. Yeah, that's that is part of it. That he's like, you know, he's very cool, but that's like I'm not responding to that. Like, like, yeah. And I just think it's interesting when he pairs himself with someone like Rihanna or Nicki Minaj, who both have such interesting textured delivery styles, both as singers and rappers. That like, really, Drake, you're gonna let me compare you to them? They're like really trying and it doesn't seem like you really are. But again, like you said, millions of people love his music. Godspeed. But I am. Mm-hmm. Um, if I met a Kiki, I would think about this song at some point, probably. But I just don't really love this song and it doesn't bring me a lot of joy. And I put it in eighth place and with three mm. points because um, we're, we're pretty much simpatico on the reasons why. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So next up, we've got, um, (laughs) by, in my own document, I have, (laughs) I have this artist listed as, 
uh, John Cougar, Mellencamp, Kudahy, Chandler, Kane. <laughs> He's Susan Lucci's character in All My Children because he kept switching it back um, to try to be more authentic. Um, we do not have a clip of Jack and Diane by John Cougar, as I believe he was known when this song came out. Um, yeah, you're right. This is kind of what I was talking about before in terms of like generational use cases. Like this song has been part of the chromosomal makeup of the United States since before I was 10 years old. And I cannot believe every Jack and or Diane alive since the song's release has not lamented its existence at some point. Um, There's a reason we don't have a clip. We don't fucking need it. I think it does hold up. It's a it's a good song. It's not maybe as good as it thinks it is. And, you know, you can hear him like sniffing his own lyrical farts sometimes. But dribble off those Bobby Brooks slacks is just really a like that's an all timer. Extremely evocative. You can picture exactly where they are when this is happening. Um, This is like, you know, pop music dramaturgy at its. Uh, 80s uh, apex, I I guess. Um, but do I meet people named Jack or Diane and sing this to them? Um, n- no. But is that because I'm named Sarah? I don't know. <laughs> like I I just don't like to do this to people because it's been I've been done like that since the 80s. So, um, but I we couldn't not discuss the song at some point in the season so yeah this is my number four with seven points but unless there is a jack and a diane together and they're like a couple i would never sing this i don't think to people and um just because i would feel weird about doing that um but i don't know where'd you put it i also put it in fourth place seven points Ooh. And one of the reasons I did is because if there were a couple named Jack and Diane, it would be constitutionally required to sing it to them. And even though that scenario is unlikely to emerge in my life, the fact that there is a song that I would be required to sing, that the song is so well known and such so prominent in my mind that I would sing it, made me bump it up the rankings just a bit. Like, This song has actually created such a strong concept of who Jack and Diane are that it has that kind of power. And it actually has named Jack and Diane in a very specific way. And that is a testament to the song's success. Now, I will say many years ago at this point, we did an episode on this song in which I said that to me, uh, John Mellencamp's music is a strong C And we received Mm -hmm. one of our very rare pieces of hate mail about that, where someone was like, how dare you disrespect the heartland rock of John Mellencamp? And I will still say, I still feel this way. John Mellencamp is a C artist, but a strong C. Not a C minus, Mm -hmm. but he's average to me. That being Mm -hmm. said, this song succeeds. I do know what it feels like to suck on a chili dog outside the Tasty Freeze, I guess. Um, so I, I just think I have to give credit where it's due with this song and its ability to make me know that there is a Jack and Diane out there who are together and have had this song sung to them because what choice would you have? So that's why I put it in for yeah. us. Yeah. Well, and uh, there are a number of these songs also that, um, the Venn diagram of their name songs, but they're also, they also have some of the most recognizable opening bars in pop yes. history like that if we ever get to that season i'm not sure we're not going to hear a whole bunch of these songs again including one later in the episode uh absolutely correct and there's something about when you can reach that kind of like pervasiveness in the culture your, your song actually does take on power in that way yeah <laughs> yeah like a snowball rolling downhill and eating trees that are in its path um so Next, we have a song that you pulled a clip for, if I'm not mistaken. I did. Um, it's Jimmy Loves Marianne, which was uh, Looking Glass's second and I believe final top 40 hit. That is um, correct. Looking Glass, uh, 
I love that they, first of all, um, I also discovered that apparently they were leading um, lights of the so-called Jersey Shore sound, which like, <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, Wikipedia, <laughs> with all with all due respect, that is not a thing. Um, and they, they failed to offer any other examples, like who, who else? Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and they're they're not even from down the shore. They're from New Brunswick. It's just like in the middle where Rutgers is. Anywho, I think that this is basically um, the same song as Brandy. It's just a prequel. Like Looking Glass is another band that like they kind of had the one story. They told it as many times as they could get away with <laughs> until yeah, they were certified gold. And then they started touring as a heritage act and i uh support this plan 100 percent. let's hear a clip of jimmy loves marianne and then we can talk about whether you'd ever even heard this before and whether you think that it should chart here in first name basis even the strong don't survive very long There's some real weird sexual politics happening in this song. Like, is it a is it a story about a couple kind of like uh, Tommy and Gina, um, as we will not hear but discuss in a moment, uh, like sticking together us against the world? Or is it kind of like Jimmy's like, I get what I want and what I want is to live with you in the, you know, uh, scary big city. And Marianne's like, well, I don't have another ride, so... Like, Jimmy loves Marianne. She thinks he's all right. Like, well, there was just this, like, very Tamajanowitz, Slaves of New York vibe to that. That's like, well, he seems to be able to make rent. Let's give it a whirl. Um, (laughs) With that said, I feel like I'm the only person under the age of 70 who's ever even heard of this shit. So even I, who like the song a lot and find its relationship with Brandy very interesting. Even I could only rank it number eight with three points. But here we all are learning about Looking Glass. Mark, what do you think? Yes, it's it's like how at the very beginning of this show's life, we were just constantly talking about Yvonne Elliman. <laughs> and here she is again. Beetlejuice, um, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> it's still saying... They're the highest patron level at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Mastis, is named after Yvonne Elliman. And no mm-hmm. one has ever taken us up on that level. But if you do, we will record an episode of the show live for you and a group of your friends. So maybe this is the time. Anyway. Yeah, I, I don't think the reason that nobody's taken us up on that one <laughs> is because of the name. <laughs> I think you're, I just want to say you're probably right. Um, yeah, I think so, the four four figure buy in is probably the issue. Yeah, but look, we're, why. We're, we are standing by. Operators are standing by. We've been paying this one operator for years now, and she's never gotten a single call. But if you want to talk to Donna, she's ready for you at any moment. Um, oh, Donna! You gotta sing it. <laughs> so though. I. I had never heard this before. You are correct. I actually like the song. It's groovy, mm-hmm. not mad. Mm-hmm. Um, also would fit in pretty nicely on the WMST radio countdown, I feel. Oh, sure. Um, but yes, because I was so unfamiliar with it, I put it in ninth place. So not that far off from you, but I'm not sorry to have heard it. So thank you to Looking Glass for making so many appearances in this season. Yeah. And um, listeners, if the Jersey Shore sound really is a thing, and I was just like rudely dismissive of it, um, obviously, given um, content that uh, we're about to talk about in like two seconds, not against the Jersey content, but 
I have uh, to say I now, just, don't, don't at me, but thing. the first thing I thought of when you described the Jersey Shore sound was that sort of farty sound a uh, bottle of suntan lotion makes when you're squeezing it and it's almost out. <laughs> Copper tone four, like God intended. Like, just use That's- olive oil. It's faster and it smells a lot better. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um. All uh- right. Speaking of God's Little Acre... It's time to talk about Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Uh, we do not have a clip because we don't need it. Um, I have to tell you that as a child of, number one, the 1980s, and number two, New Jersey, I have probably heard this shit conservatively 10,000 times I also know like a dozen Tommies and at least a couple Gina's. And I just do not relate this song to those names. Huh. I I get it. It is an iconic song for many other reasons. Um, you know, this is like the state. If Springsteen's the state bird, these dudes are the state flower. Bless. Uh, but I just don't. I do not relate to it that strongly except now that we're thinking about songs in this context and along these axes so it wasn't last obviously you've heard my last play song already but it's still pretty low down i don't associate it with tommy's and gina so it's only in seventh for me with four points but um i think that that's not going to be a typical response to this song where did you put it so I will say, I know I've told this story before, but when I was a kid and I would feel like it wasn't cool to be riding around with my parents and they were listening to oldies radio, when I saw another car passing us, I would quickly just mouth along to the chorus to this song in Uh case someone driving by at like 40 miles an hour or faster looked into the car, (laughs) happened to make out what I was lip syncing to, understood what it was, and then decided I was cool. Because I was listening to Bon Jovi, who I perceived as cool, not like this shit that my parents were listening to on Light Mix 105. Anyway. Yeah. Um, um, P.S. Now this is on Oldies Radio. Fucking kill me. Anyway, please continue. I know. Not only is this on Oldies Radio, it's on like Oldies, like two generations back radio. I like, know. Oldies Radio is I Want It That Way by Backstreet Boys. This is like I geriatric know. radio. I know. i know god that's the cold wind of death blows through my mind um yeah but for me this song is very much a tommy song especially and i also think about the fact that tommy and gina get referenced in bon jovi's song it's my life as well like they loved them so much that they brought them back in another song Uh uh-huh i don't know if you knew that actually but there you go i did know that um, so to me, this is very much an iconic song. Not so much for Gina, weirdly enough, but it would be like, Tommy used to go to his class. Like I would, I would insert Tommy <laughs> into just about any situation. So for me, Sarah, this is actually second place, nine points. I That's totally fair. And But I, I take your point too. It's like there are so many reasons that this song is iconic that like if you were to say that for, you know, you saying Tommy and Gina isn't even on the list because it's like, the chorus is iconic. The whoa, whoa, whoa voice box is iconic. Whoa, yeah, sure. Whoa. Exactly oh, right. yeah. There's a fucking All of key it is- change. Like, there is so much drama happening here that Tommy and Gina, even though they got another song, that it's like the Where Are They Now song. It's like, mm, <laughs> okay. And also, like, can I just say the implied chest hair is just so iconic in this song. It is. And it has a perm. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, that brings us now to Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Bega. Shockingly, his only hit, um, although it was a huge, inescapable hit in its time. Uh, shall we hear a clip? Oh, my God. I mean, we don't need to, but we've got one, so let's do it. Mr. Bega, take it away. Anything it's all good, let me in the trumpet a little bit of monica in my life a little bit of erica by my side a little bit of readers all i need a little bit of tina's what i see a little bit of sandra in the sun a little bit of mary all night long a little bit of jessica here 
just to clarify, this song reached number three in 1999. So it was a huge fucking hit. I I am shocked that it only reached. I mean, given the time, I guess I'm not that shocked. But it must have stayed at number three for like two years because I just feel like this was one of those songs at the end of the last century. You could not get from one end of a day to another without hearing it. And I hadn't heard it in a while. I've realized I kind of missed it. I listened to it a few times for this. I think I'm all set for another decade. But this song, this song is bad. Um, The scansion (laughs) is busted. Some of the rhymes, like the part that we, the clip that we heard at the beginning, he rhymes dump it and trumpet. (laughs) Dump it? Like, why are you talking about dump? Like, why is the word dump <laughs> in your song? Like, I'm going to dump it. Like, this is such first take. Mr. Bega. <laughs> yeah. This is such first take flow, quote unquote. Um, It is a novelty song. It probably relied heavily in its production and marketing on the very use of the names in here. Um, His delivery is not great. It's, I mean... This is really like some <laughs> what came what came out of the grease trap shit, but I love it like the way that you love your cousin who ate paint, but I love it, and uh, I think it meets the brief, absolutely, if only from the sheer volume of complaints about this song that we got from our listeners and Patreon supporters. Uh, ladies and others, I feel you. And this is my number two with nine points, <laughs> especially dear Retai. I, <laughs> like, I, so, I so see you. I feel your pain. Let's join hands and carry it together. I get it. Number two. Okay, so a couple of things. One, I don't know if you remember a VH1 game show called the World Series of Pop Culture. Yes, I do. Hosted by, uh, oh my gosh, I've just blanked on his name. New York One reporter. Pat Kiernan. Of course, oh my God, I'm embarrassed. I almost said Craig Kilborn, and that's not right. Um, (laughs) No. Hosted by Pat Kiernan, I applied with two friends to be on the never even filmed second season of the World Series of Pop Culture. And when we took a written test in the audition we, one of the questions we got was, how many of the ladies can you name that Lou Bega references in Mambo Number no. 5? So uh-huh. the, the expectation that we all just knew the list was high. And I think yeah. that's, that tells you something. Also, this song, like 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, invites us to continue the game. But unlike 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, it doesn't even ask us to come up with a rhyme. It's just how many more names can you say? Because there's no, there's no scansion. There's no rhyme. Like there's nothing artful about what Lou Bega yeah, is doing. Even the rhymes so you can literally are like, yeah, a little like bit of Geraldine in my face, a little bit of Candace <laughs> on the play. I mean, I guess there's a rhyme in there, but it's like, like you don't have to on the play. Yeah, like what kind of, just what kind of um, translated you know, stereo instructions, English is this, I just, I mean, it's so, and you can almost hear him laughing at himself. Yes. Like again, I don't begrudge him anything good that happened as a result to him as a result of this song, which is almost entirely content free. But then those horns come in and I'm like, Oh, fine. I know. Fine, I'll I'll swing dance. Fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I was do, fucking I'll do chair one of dancing those... during this clip. Like, what is wrong with me? Oh, that's right. Horns, love them. I will participate in a rotoscoped Gap khakis commercial with this song. Fine. Oh my god. Yeah, you know what? We need to just end this podcast right now because you absolutely nailed that to the wall. <laughs> Every inch of it <laughs> nailed to the wall. I retire. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mark talks about songs. He does it really well. well Thank you. Where'd you rank it? Um, it, with with great honor to the Jessicas of the world, I put this song in first place. I think it absolutely <laughs> epitomizes what we're talking about here. It it really does. I mean, 
and it does it does bring me joy it's so terrible but it's so like, like you said i i've listened to it three times in the last two days and that's i'm good for until we do mark and sarah from the old folks home talk about songs uh but that's fine and uh uh-huh. not mad and 10 points there you go first yeah I, I mean, it also sounds like maybe part of the percussion line was like someone rubbing their wet finger on a balloon. Like everything about <laughs> it is just Fugazi. And now I kind of want an actual like band Fugazi cover of this song, but we will not be getting that probably um, unless one of the band members is with the sound of my voice. Please, please do it. Um, thrash number five. Um, I need it in my live as Lou Bega would say. Um, all right, we're yes, almost at the end of the list. And now we're going back in time once again with uh, the Lou's are twinned at the end, but they really, really could not be any more different. I doubt I had to pull a clip, but um, it had been long enough since I'd really sat with this song and engaged with it that I thought we should have a listen to it and just marinate on the idea that this is a 50-year-old song that they fucking put it on the radio. It's sort of shocking, but also sort of wonderful and very Lou Reed. Here is Walk on the Wild Side by Mr. Reed. Holly came from Miami, FLA. Hitchhiked away across USA Plucked her eyebrows on the way Shaved her legs and then he was a she She says, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side Said, hey honey, take a walk on the wild side Candy came from out on the island. This song is just really like that it exists is amazing to me. I'm not sure it actually meets the brief that well. Um, because how many, like, how many candies are there really? And also that <laughs> he is so specifically talking about particular transgender actors and singers and drug dealers, in the case of the Sugar Plum Fairy, uh, that were part of the Warhol factory scene in the 60s and 70s. Um, Like, realizing this when I was reading the gazillionth Warhol factory biography or memoir in college and was like, oh, shit. And then I heard the song on the radio, which, like, they just play it on classic rock radio. And it's, I mean... People are giving blowjobs. There's some terminology that I didn't clip that part of it. I do feel that he is ironically pointing to um, racial injustice in the music business with that lyric, but it's still not my place to to clip it. I don't feel so I didn't, but this is like a really, this is a really outre story that the, it just gets played on the radio and now it's a classic as it should be with that said, I'm not sure it reads the brief that well. Um, so I don't want to sell out my man, but he's right in the middle. Number five, six points with apologies to all the Hollies and Jackies and candies and sugar plum fairies I mean, in our listenership. I, I, I just am not sure it gets there for me, but what a, what a great song and what a what fun to come back to it in this context. It was really cool. And how wild that a song that, first of all, correctly genders transgender people was a huge yes. hit in the 70s. And like, yes. you know, it's not like he's it's not like Lou Reed is is saying that these people are saints, but he's also allowing them to exist on their own terms in the song. He's just like, yeah, this is what they do. And I and like that's fucking baller to me, and it, it was a it reached number sixteen on the Hot 100 and has been heralded as one of the all time great rock songs. And like, yeah, great, cool. 
Yeah. Um, and this is now, another one that re- in the um, opening bars season, we will be hearing from this one again because there's no mistaking that bass. And that, I mean, his delivery, like he's not a good singer, Lou Reed, and he knows that about himself, but there's just something about that opener that is like you can you can picture that bus window that all of these women were looking out of going towards New York City to start being who they were. And it's just right. really a it's really it's art. It's amazing. And it would never be allowed on the radio today. No. If it were new definitely today. not. Um now the reason that for me I, I put this song in seventh because mm-hmm. I will never associate this song with the names because that opening riff is so iconic and it's been used by so many songs. Like Marky Mark Mm -hmm. has a terrible song called wild side. That was a top 10 hit Mm -hmm. that uses this riff. The um, tribe called quest has an excellent song called can I kick it? That's built on this. Yes, you can. (laughs) Yeah. um, Wipe your feet real good on the rhythm rug. Uh, So, because that is the most dominant thing that the song is known for, I can't turn back around and put it much higher on this list, but damn, it's a good right. song. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, I mean, we're not so far apart on it really. Uh, so no. seven points for me. And uh, Sarah, I actually have already done the math. So if you're interested, I could tell you our final rankings of these 10 tracks. I'd love it. Are we starting at the bottom? Yes, so we have a tie for last place. Um, the the 10th place tie is between Jimmy Loves Marianne mm-hmm. and In My Feelings. So, yeah. you know, participation ribbons for them both. And then <laughs> in in 8th place, we have 52 Girls by B-52s. Okay. In 7th place, we have Come On and Ride It, The Train by Quad City DJs. <laughs> In sixth place, we have Lou Reed with uh, Walk on the Wild Side. In fifth place, we have Tommy, Gina, Chest Hair, and Mullet by Living uh-huh. on a Prayer. Fourth place, we have John Cougar, Mellon Cap, uh, McDonagall, uh, Sh- Jingle, Jingleheimer, Chandler, Kane, Chandler. Yep. Uh, uh, and in fourth place, with Jack and Diane. In third place. We have everyone's favorite jazzy murder ballad, Copacabana. Uh-huh. And I think it's a, it's a solid top two. In second place is 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Mm-hmm. And then in a handy lead, it's three points ahead of our second place finisher. Number one, Lou Bega, Mambo number five. <laughs> we will not dump it. And it's because of the trumpet. And also because know, the right. Arakai in our listenership would um, burn down this podcast if uh, if we hadn't ranked where we did. Oh, God. Well, this was um, very informative and a delight. And our listeners are like, guys, it's July. You've already been talking about this for like four weeks. Could you get a grip? Um, we can't. But that's why you love us. And uh, <laughs> we'd love to hear more from you about how you would rank these songs and if we missed any multi-name songs uh, or anything else, music or not, uh, at our Patreon, patreon.com slash mastass. And that gives you access to our Discord. We have a lot of fun over there. You should check it out. And thanks for listening. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Mark Blankenship. That's me. And edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. This podcast is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. And if you want to talk about songs, suggest a season theme, get a pop chart reading or customized playlist, or have a cocktail with us and your fellow listeners, then come on by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash where you'll find polls, 
happy hours, and tons of extra episodes and content. We're also at Talk Songs on Twitter, at Mastass Everywhere on Instagram, and Mastass.podcast on Facebook. Or just email us, talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. All that contact info will be in our show notes. Scroll down. Hope we'll be talking about songs with you soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.